most employees want clarity and they want to know what success looks like for them in their role. So that is a major benefit working in the agile way of working because it creates so much clarity, so much transparency. We put up goals, uh, what is success, what does success look like? So I feel um, uh, people are very happy that they know what moves the needle for the company. It's our job to tell better stories. And always remember, it's the risk takers that are rewarded. People are sick and tired of being marketed to, and they're sick and tired of being sold. The single biggest story today in sales and marketing is how our customers are buying their Hello, friend. I am glad you found your way back to the Growth Hub podcast. This time we interviewed Sophie Hedestad, who is the CMO of Netigate, a feedback platform. Sophie has a great experience in using the Agile model and the objectives and key results framework. She gives a lot of examples and advice on how marketers can use both frameworks to move growth needles. So here we go. Enjoy the episode with Sophie. Hey Sophie, and thank you so much for coming to the Growth Hub podcast. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm I'm super excited to be here. Excellent. I will jump right into the actual topic and ask um, the first question. Um, many in-house marketers uh, struggle with aligning their work uh, with the rest of the organization, which usually leads to situations where marketing is done in silos. And this is something that you've seen happen in the past um, and found that following the agile model, um, was a solid way around it. So let's start with a basic one. Um, what does it mean to follow an agile way of work and how can marketing benefit from it? So how I view an agile, agile way of working in marketing, um, I got inspired by how tech and product organizations work. Uh, so for us, when we started in our marketing team, we had a Scrum Master that worked as a Scrum Master in the past. So he actually led us through the transformation, which was pretty nice because then uh, myself leading the group and uh, the other teammates could uh, lean back a little bit and trust the process and just follow him. So that was quite uh, nice, actually, to have someone that worked in a a tech team before that had this way of working. So for me and I mean a sprint, uh, uh, the sprint uh, way of working or agile way of working um, is inspired by yeah, product and tech teams and um, uh, we work in, in, in sprints. Uh, so I would define it like that. And um, I think the benefit is to streamline our ben- uh, our efforts with the rest of the company. So I think uh, you said marketing could um, appear as working in silos, but I think if the organization or the company you work for doesn't have a, a clear structure, all of the teams will work in silos. So, yeah, I think we will come back to that. But I think uh, uh, if you don't have a structure, way of working and goal setting process for your company, then uh, all teams will start to work in more silos. Um, so actually, uh, do you work in the agile? Do you use the agile model only in your marketing, or is it used in your in in the entire company? 
So we definitely use it in tech and product and marketing, and then sales work slightly differently. And uh, I know HR and uh, the finance team also approaching more agile, agile way of working. So I would say it would definitely be beneficial if all teams could work in a more similar way, because I do think um, all departments could work agile. Um. I just want to uh, drill down a little bit on that. Um, so you work in, you work, you use the agile model in marketing, but you just mentioned also, you know, product and, and whatnot. Can you um, elaborate a little bit on that? Do you, um, as a, do you work together with product team in the agile way? Is there an overlap in, in how you work or how, how, how have you structured it in, in your company? Yes. So if I start uh, from the top with the management team, we do have, um, we work with objectives and key results, so OKRs, and you could use OKRs in many different ways, but how we use it is um, first to plan of, of the year, so yearly planning goals. Uh, so that would be focus areas. What should we focus about uh, the coming 12 months? Often uh, for us and for many other companies, it's about getting new customers. It's about um, building a, a strong company culture and it's about customer success. So you get the broad um, kind of uh, uh, initiatives that you want to focus on. And then key results could be, I mean, ARR from new customers, employee net promoter score or other key results that you actually can measure if it was successful or not. So out of this, this yearly plan or this yearly objectives, we form quarterly objectives and key results. Um, and then for the team, the marketing team, uh, we look at um, uh, what the company goals are uh, when we do our quarterly planning. Uh, and that quarterly planning we use in our sprints. And we plan 60% of our time based on the quarterly planning. Uh, and it really drills down to day-to-day -day work in the end. And this way, I would say most of the teams in the company works. And then, of course, it gets more complex because you need cross-functional teams working together in different projects and so on. Um, and it is quite complicated. The, the bigger you get, the more complicated it gets. Uh, but I would still say that we are quite uh, proud and uh, have found a good structure um, in this agile way of working. Excellent. Uh, we already got a little bit ahead of ourselves because we definitely want to also talk about the OKRs you guys are are, are using as well. But I was um, I wanted I was curious about how how you've organized that. Um, just for the context, uh, before we move on, how big is actually your marketing team? So we're about ten people. Oh, cool. That's that's a fairly big uh, team. Do you wish it would be bigger? <laughs> you know, you always look at the benchmark and I think benchmark says that you should be about 10% in marketing. And you, I mean, you obviously need to look at uh, what business you're in and so on. So I heard B2B SaaS companies uh, be a lot less and I heard B2B SaaS companies be quite a lot more. Um but I think uh, it depends. I mean, if you have a, a machinery and you, um, uh, and if you're not able to onboard and uh, have a clear um, role description for more marketeers, then you should maybe maybe 
grow grow your team uh, uh, slower than faster because if you grow it really fast then it will be tough to onboard and create clarity and transparency so yeah in these times of um, yeah, inflations energy prices uh, war um, I think companies uh, tech companies these days should focus more on profitability rather than growth so I think uh, uh, we can grow a little bit but uh, maybe not <laughs> a lot yeah we're seeing a bit more conservative numbers and kind of objectives and targets yeah in that area for sure right so you did uh, mention that uh, when you were moving towards the working in the agile model you had scrum master who was who was helping you guys out so i was wondering um you know hopping into or changing the way of working uh, can be a bit of a challenge especially when people start considering using using the agile uh way of working so um i mean it doesn't happen you know snapping your fingers you can't run before you can you before you can work so um in your view what needs to happen before you hop into the agile model what what kind of prerequisites prerequisites are there so i would say that if the team is not open for change i mean that could i mean change over time but if if it's a lot of things going on and then you introduce a new way of working then it could be overwhelming for people so i think timing could be good to consider and that people are actually open for a new way of working uh, so um, yeah I mean uh, the team needs to have uh, uh, good communication and um, be uh, um, ready for it because if you onboarded a brand new team and um, they haven't worked in the company for very long uh, then you should maybe wait but I think you should not wait too long either because it is quite important you will save time and you will get a lot of more structure so maybe not um wait too long but uh, find a good um timing during the year uh where it is good to to get started and start small you don't need to be perfect at once you need to eat the elephant in pieces so uh, maybe just uh, start small and then iterate and get better would you be able to kind of give some kind of example about small? Would you kind of impractical? Let's see how how does it work. So first off, you uh, might want to have like a team meeting or a team workshop where you start to discuss it. So you have agile way of working on the schedule, and you want everyone to feel included in this process as well. So. You might uh, like have a fika or a coffee where you discuss it with your team and everyone can ship in and give input. Um, so you uh, plant a seed in everyone's mind that this will happen. We have not defined everything yet, but we are going in this direction. That could be, be good, of course. And then um, you could start changing your meeting structure. So it depends what structure you have today, but... If you want to work in a two-week sprint, you might want to have a sprint kickoff on a Monday morning. So then you need to schedule your first sprint kickoff on Monday morning. And then you might want to end the sprint a Friday afternoon. So then you need to have two weeks later a, a sprint review and um, end of the sprint session two weeks later. 
And then you decide how many stand-ups you would want and schedule these as well. And I mean, you could use a Word document or a pen and paper, but it is quite important to have some kind of documentation. Um, we use monday.com, so we list uh, all the initiatives, who's the owner, where do you need help, and so on. But um, yeah, having one person leading the uh, leading the meetings and start off the, with the meeting structure, and then people ship in what they will work with the two coming weeks. Um, I think that could be a quite basic start. Do you, do you think that the two weeks is, because if you think about marketing, two weeks in marketing is quite short time. How do you feel? Is it is it too short or? Because we have experienced that four weeks sprints actually are quite workable, but they mm-hmm. do, do seem quite um, tight at times. Yeah. So how does two weeks, you know, work? Yeah, I totally understand your questions. And when it is Christmas time or vacation times during this, um, like the Swedish summer, then a lot of people taking um, a long break. Then we pause sprints or extend them so they are very long. They could be two months, you know, during the summer. And during Christmas, it could be longer as well. Uh, but during the spring and the fall, uh, for us, it's worked quite good with the two-week cadence because uh, uh, you will break up certain um, uh, certain um, uh, projects or certain initiatives or campaigns into many different pieces. But I mean, uh, lead generation, um, we we always look at what we need to bring in the coming quarter. So. Um, if we are behind, then two weeks is a quite good time to accelerate or to focus on low-hanging fruits to really make sure we are driving pipeline to sales. So if I've understood correctly, you guys started uh, about a year ago. So you've been working in this model for one year. Is that right? I think, yeah, one and a half probably. Okay. Um can you tell us uh, how that process has has went? What kind of challenges have you faced along the way, and um, you know how how do you look at it right now? How have you succeeded? You know what have you learned? Good uh, question. So um, I said like start small and just uh, have a meeting structure, map up what you will do the coming two weeks. So what I think been working good is to iterate. So. We have this um, sprint retrospective every second week uh, or every second sprint, sorry. And um, then we've been giving each other feedback. What should we stop doing? What should we continue to do? And what should we start do? So we have this, uh, yeah, it's a PowerPoint slide deck where you fill in stop, start and continue. Uh, So we evaluate ourselves. So we have actually together got better. So uh, I would uh, I would say that me as the manager, if I would um, give feedback all the time, it wouldn't be that efficient as coming together and give each other feedback uh, how we want to work with this. So I think that retrospective, looking back and uh, analyzing um, our ways of working has been very successful. And uh, we had uh, one uh, project actually where we had the students from CBS uh, coming in and uh, listening into our sprints for one period of time. And um, what we got out there is because we we put points in tasks. So 
let's say you will have a webinar, um, then you allocate how much points that will take. So one point is one day, basically. And if you think about that process, like um, finding speaker, get people to sign up, maybe it could be, you know, two, three days, two, three points. But then we... um, we saw that uh, we had different ways of viewing this because that could be very, you know, fluffy in a way. Mm-hmm. How how, many, how long does it actually take? So we set uh, different points per person depending on uh, which people you were. So we kind of streamlined that and got better at um, putting up points because in the in the end, um, if a sprint is ten days, then you want to have ten points. Mm-hmm. Um, and we uh, looking at each sprint, we could see we were a bit different. So we got very structured in that uh, <laughs> uh, to discuss, um, you know, h- how long uh, uh, things should should take and when is good enough and so on. So I think we have had some really fruitful discussions uh, where we improved our ways of working. So how long did that process actually take? Like the, uh, I'm, I'm sure you're iterating as you go still. But kind of getting the points uh, in place. So I would say from starting working in sprints uh, to actually feel like a little bit proud of it, mm. I would say six months. Mm, and yeah. points was maybe like two months. That's not too bad. <laughs> so it's a couple of sprints where you need to kind of get into it. You mentioned earlier that you actually spend like 60% of your time in in uh, agile kind of sprint model. But what do you do with the rest of the 40? That's a really good question. Um, because that is all the ad hoc things that comes mm. through. So we'll map that out as well. So everything, every time you get an ad hoc task, then you add it to the sprint, but you put a tag on it that it's an ad hoc task that wasn't planned for uh, in the quarterly planning session. It was something that came up. And I think marketeers can relate to this because mm-hmm. it is like, can you translate, can you create this uh, sales uh, deck or can you translate this or whatever it could mm-hmm. be um, that someone wants within the next hours <laughs> of uh, so it is a lot of ad hoc things and uh, there we need to also be better at, uh, uh, I mean, reject and approve what we can work with and what actually moves the needle. Because there are things that um, the company might not see that you do work with, uh, like, um, let's say, search engine optimization. It's really important for lead generation, but no one will see if you're optimizing an article for search engines. Mm. Um, and that takes time. So it it is a lot of tasks um, that is not really visible to uh, to the company. That is super important to to focus on. Yeah. Do does that point system actually help you to say no to certain things? I would say yeah. We we can see the how fully booked we are. So I think as we as I said, we plan sixty percent of our time. So if you have a 10-point sprint, then it would be six points. You would have flexibility to take on more. Um, but that we already do because there are things coming. Uh, but um, uh, as you see, like the sprint um, way of working or the agile way of working definitely helps us reject tasks. Mm. Because we can easily, 
go into the sprint and uh, it's transparent for everyone to see uh, what we are working on and that we have not the capacity to take on more. And also, you know, um, if um, I, I sit in the management team and I want to summarize um, uh, the last month, what we were working on, it is super valuable for me as a manager to easily go to the sprint and see the goals, what our goals are. And I can see very detailed what everyone is working on. So uh, I can answer questions quite easily um, because often that was a problem before because you you cannot remember every single day and go back two weeks time what did we do then so it's it's very nice being a manager and having this structure where you can go uh, back and forth in time and actually prove value that is a major benefit for sure mm, absolutely but if you think about your team what what are the kind of benefits for your team of the agile model so I think most employees want clarity and they want to know what success looks like for them in their role. So that is a major benefit working in the agile way of working because it uh, creates so much clarity, so much transparency. We put up goals, uh, what is success, what does success look like? So I feel um, uh, people are very happy that they know what moves the needle for the company and what what is success and uh, what should we focus on. Uh, so just get a lot of clarity. Um, it's quite nice because you, you want to know what moves the needle and what your manager expects from you. So it's very transparent. Great. Um, you obviously... Uh... You've seen a lot of benefits, and uh, and like like you've explained, it works for you guys. I was wondering if you've seen any downsides to the appro approach. If if there's a marketing team out there listening to this, and you know they decide that okay, we want to implement the agile model, is there something that they should be aware of or take into consideration? I think it's, I said that it takes, you know, six months before you're proud of it. So it requires a lot of uh, follow up and follow through um, for Scrum Master, for the team, for you as a manager. It's, um, it's not something you can launch and then lean back and see, uh, see it happens. It's like any transformation or change, you need to have a clear owner you need to have uh, someone that is following through and following up and communicates regularly. So you need to have some kind of plan going into it. If you are a very unstructured person and you know that yourself, maybe you should outsource this and take the most structured person in your team to help out with this. Uh, so I would say it's um, a bit um, up to your personality as well. Um because it, it, it creates uh, a lot of benefits, but uh, yeah, it uh, some work needs to happen and maybe it should be the a person that you uh, think could lead this work that has a lot of trust in the team that could lead it. It does not need to be uh, the manager of the, the team. It could definitely be a scrum master or uh, someone even more junior uh, that is a very structured person. That is such a good insight because uh, we tend to think that it's the manager who needs to kind of manage everything. 
for kind of delegating even that is always yeah. an option. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but as a manager, you want to uh, like build relationship and trust. And mm. uh, building this uh, sprint methodology, it's a lot of follow up. And I mean, uh, then it's beneficial to have someone else in the team to do that, actually. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. True that. All right. Um, so we've been talking about the agile model and um, and OKRs quite briefly. Um, so. You use OKRs, um, which is objectives and key results. Um, why did you decide to go with OKRs? So I think uh, most B2B SaaS companies I heard of work with OKRs. So I think if you would go with any other model, then you might maybe need to uh, think about that. So I think um, since there are loads of other companies to work with it, it's uh, it's a lot of, um, I mean, articles around it, how to use it. And you see in Google and other companies worked really successful with OKRs. So I, I don't think it was more thought through uh, than that, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. So I think uh, that was the reason. But I think the OKRs could work really differently depending on which company you are in and how you implement it. I think I touched upon it a bit earlier that um, you need to have, I'm thinking about um, um, time horizon. So you have a vision as a company and I think maybe a vision could be revisited a lot more often because often you set the vision and then the vision is set for the next five to 10 years, but actually you could revisit Mm. the vision. But let's say that that is a three-year horizon then to make it simple. Then you might have a yearly plan, so and goals and um, uh, that could be yeah of course then one year horizon and then you have a quarterly planning goals and that would be three months horizon and then you work with sprint which is two weeks horizon and then you have day-to-day task on me level um so then i think if you have a vision um you have a mission you have a yearly plan you have a quarterly plan you have two weeks uh, mm-hmm. uh, plan and then you have tasks day to day then you're steering your company in one direction um and um, that is also quite nice because otherwise you can have the most fantastic teams but everyone is running in different directions then you might not move the needle for the company. So it is very important for all teams to actually focus on things that uh, uh, the, the rest of the organization benefits from. So, um, um, yeah, that is good when it comes to objective and clear <laughs> to get that direction. But I think, yeah, there are different layers to it. Did these things, uh, using the Agile model and then um, using OKRs, did those two things come about at the same time? Or was it, did you start using the other framework earlier? How did that uh, process work for you guys? So I would say the OKRs and Sprint methodology happened at the same time, roughly. Um, And I said, uh, yeah, one and a half years ago, we started with with this. Uh, But then... I think the iteration is the most important thing because it's changed so much. The OKR process changed and the sprint process changed. So you kind of um, see what works and to get um, uh, people to understand uh, 
where you are heading as a company. Um, so um, yeah, it does. Uh, to answer your question, yes, they did. They ha- did happen roughly at the same time. That's quite a bit of uh, that. Well, that's quite a lot of change to happen uh, at the same time. Um, I'm wondering if that was, um, did that go smoothly? Did you have some kind of bumps along the way when you're trying to implement essentially two fairly big changes to the way you guys work and, and frameworks that you use? So I would say on a company level, which means in the management team where we set the first yearly OKRs and then the quarterly OKRs, um, that worked quite smooth. And then, um, getting it out to the teams happened at different times. Um, so uh, um, that has looked slightly different from team to team because they might already had a process from before. But in, in my marketing team, we had more yeah, a regular way of working where you have meetings where you discuss what you are focusing on and so on, but not this structured so it was good timing for me to bring the same methodology to my team um, but essentially this is what we would want for the whole company of course that everyone worked more streamlined work less in silos and more in uh, task forces that solve real problems um, so I don't think it was that complicated you had uh, you mean I mean um, as a member of the management team um it was very clear and then bringing it out to the team it's really up to you as a manager to uh, plan how to discuss and implement it in the end so if you don't have a too large team then um then i don't think you need to overcomplicate and overthink it's just communicate so what kind of feedback did you get from your team no, but um, everyone was quite excited because this actually built up on their CV because uh, if they will go somewhere else in the future uh, to be able to say that they worked in an agile way is uh, is quite nice because uh, if, um, if I would bring a team member in, I would want that competence. So I think uh, the team was quite proud uh, that we learned a new thing together. And um, yeah, of course, it was quite detailed questions about point systems and how to map things and documentations, but overall, a big proudness over our way of working. That's fantastic. Um, Well, I want to ask the same question I asked in relation to the Agile models. I want to ask this about uh, your OKRs as well. Uh, What have you learned about uh, setting OKRs uh, during this year and a half that you've been using it so far? What are your biggest learnings? Biggest learning is to keep it simple uh, and to have an owner. Uh, if you have an owner, the owner steers the process um, and uh, needs to be able to say to the rest in the meeting you're sitting in where you discuss it, like, we need to move on. Okay, good, good thought, but we will do like this. Uh, so have a clear owner that can... Um, uh, of course, uh, take in input, but also, you know, um, say like, hey, guys, we need to uh, be able to uh, uh, come forward now uh, with a decision about certain things. So I think a clear owner and to keep it simple, like I've seen um, other companies, uh, because I've been 
quite digging into this because it's an interest of mine now, uh, that it gets very complicated. I saw um, uh, old colleagues' uh, OKR framework recently, and it was so much documentation and so much text. And I mean, if you think about it, if um, if your partner say to you, like, three things you will buy when you go to the grocery store, um, and the person says one fourth thing, then you forget. You can mm. have like three things in your head mm. at the same time. So it needs to be crystal clear and super easy. And um, if you have like someone doing design, it would be great to have, you know, like an image uh, almost with as little text as possible. Uh, so you just understand uh, the concept of it. And uh, yeah, keep it simple, have an owner. That's a good advice. So um, as for marketing perspective, what would you say that are the best benefits of uh, using OKRs in marketing? Yeah, so uh, I mean, if the company decided to go with OKRs, you, it would be strange if you choose something else. Uh, so I would say the the benefits is that you um, are actually streamlining with the rest of the company, that you are working in the same direction, uh, that you are having the same focus areas that the rest of the company. And then, of course, in marketing, it could be things that you don't think of on a company level that is actually really important. So I think if you have the company um, objectives, then you can form uh, a few other objectives that is specific to the marketing organization. Um, so it doesn't, uh, you can add ex some extra that is really important for you as a team. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I would say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously, there are, I mean, the OKR framework, um, it's fairly structured. And uh, if you read it, it's you know, uh, understandable, but there's still, um, I suppose, leeway within it to to decide how you on on what level you go about doing it. So there are companies who use you know company level and then team level OKRs, and then there are companies who go all the way down to the uh, individual level. I was wondering, what's your take on, um, in your opinion, your experience, um, how? deep should you go on your OKRs uh, all the way to the individual level or keep it more general? I think as a start, uh, as we talked about, like keep it simple and start somewhere. And then it's uh, good to start on a company level. And then the next quarter, you might drill it down to team level and then some quarters away on me level. So I think for me, I, I would have that as my ambition to have it drilled down throughout the company uh, from company level, team level, me level. Um, and um, I mean, um, uh, it doesn't, it, it's not like the CEO would go in to a person's profile and look at their objectives and key results and the tasks every day. It's more for the individuals. Um, so, uh, it's a structure, it uh, creates clarity and alignment among all layers. So it's not about micromanaging. It's more about creating clarity for teams, for individuals. So that would be my ambition. Great. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, um, I, I guess, a, a, another side of the coin, any ill-planned OKRs. Um, 
the the path to OKRs is ripe with it. And what the more you later read about the literature, literature, you'll see that you know companies struggle with these things. And I can say we struggle with it as well. I mean, we're using OKRs, um, and it's not always easy. So. <laughs> It can be, you know, ill-planned OKRs can be a result of many things, but uh, one of the reasons is can be bad planning and it can, you know, lead to focusing on, on the wrong things or irrelevant things and not taking you forward to where you want to be. I'm curious to hear if you if you've been there. Yeah, of course. I would say, to be honest, like I've been talking around with different managers about this topic and ill-planned OKRs is very common, I would say. And um, it. Um, I would say that um, uh, goals in general are communicated too late, I mean, in the middle of the quarter, or it's not communicated at all, and it's not followed up on. It's so many problems around goal setting in general. Uh, so, I mean, that's a huge problem because this is like, efficiency and this will drive growth in the end so it's so important that uh, the goal setting process works seamless so i think uh, companies needs to uh, or managers and leaders need to look themselves in the mirror and uh, really um, get better at this because uh, this creates a lot of frustration among employees as well that it's not clear and it's not achievable it's not communicated and then it's communicated and then it's uh, then you never hear about it again so i think i heard this so many times uh, about ill-planned Ill um, goal setting processes in general so i think uh, yeah uh, it's something i heard about for sure <laughs> i'm glad yeah <laughs> we're not the only ones <laughs> It is actually, it's a challenging thing to set up that kind of OKRs that are really everyone feels entitled to and kind of buy, buy in. But also understanding, you know, what is a good level for the objective, mm. you know, because that can also vary or should it be a very high level of very inspiring or very, you know, down to earth and very concrete or something like that. And then how you derive uh, key results and other objectives from that. So I think that's also something that is, uh, it's it's a balancing act, uh, and I'm not sure. I, I mean, it takes a while to to get there. Yeah, you live and learn. <laughs> yeah, I guess trial and error. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I would say, like, just to be concrete, there, I would say, um, one to five objectives that are highly inspiring. Um, should be the goal here and then the key results will measure if you done it successfully or not so I, I would say objectives should be inspiring for the whole organization and just gives you a direction where you're heading and the key results could be more nitty-gritty if if you're achieving what you're set set up to and actually that's really interesting um that uh, okay I'm gonna <laughs> drill down to this word inspiring a little more but why do you think the the objective needs to be inspiring um so i think it should be i mean concrete and simple as well so it shouldn't be you know um fluff fluff um as well so um i can give you some example that i think is um is inspiring so 
uh, we have had create an awesome customer experience. And we could have had just, uh, you know, focus on customers. (laughs) (laughs) But awesome, say something to me, like it should be top class. And if a customer calls me, and that is an experience for them. So I will give them the best interaction with me that I can possibly give them. So for me, it sets a direction. So if a, a customer calls me or emails me, I should be on top and answer it fast. And customers are um, the bread and butter to the company. And um, I mean, that that is the dearest we have. So for me, that uh, sets uh, that, that is inspiring. And it uh, tells me how I should behave as well. Um, that's a really good example because I got goosebumps. So (laughs) (laughs) good. (laughs) So it's just about kind of wording, isn't it? I mean, the, the objective is to kind of give good customer service, but how you actually sell it internally is with like, give awesome customer service experience or customer experience or whatever it was. And and an experience, it's so many um, teams that is uh, contributing to an experience. It's not just the individual salesperson that is the key account manager. It could also be the finance team sending invoices to that customers. How can we make that experience seamless for the customers? So it's more touch points than you actually think about. Absolutely. But that actually tells the story that you have to have the co- like the organizational level uh, strategy and kind of all the positioning, everything kind of really lined up. And yeah, because, yeah, yeah, if you have the excellent customer experience and the finance team gets this on the table, they start to think of what kind of touch points do we have with the customers and can we make it better? Yeah, and, uh, that's an excellent point because um, I bet there are units and departments in companies um that don't that haven't had to think about that before so you know things are just going smoothly as as usual but then all of a sudden if you have to think about what is it about our work that is that can be awesome to the customer Mm -hmm. that changes the way you're thinking about your work completely if you haven't done that before obviously like you think about like payroll yeah how does that contribute to customer experience yeah i have no idea but you know that's kind of how you they have to think about it as well anyway all right uh but before we actually move on to uh our first five questions um do you sophie have any other golden nuggets to share with our uh viewers and, and listeners uh who are actually how to how they can improve their way of working so I'm pretty sure everyone that listen is listening into this podcast is amazing marketeers and uh, other people from other departments. I think marketeers and myself in general could be better to marketing ourselves internally. So we do so much great stuff. So maybe a challenge to everyone that is listening to uh, think about how they can be better at doing marketing for themselves internally. It could be maybe being more visible in Slack channels and raise your hand uh, during a presentation or actually be the person having the presentation and just um, be more visible and uh, um, like reinforce marketing internally. Absolutely. I think we need to all be better at that. (laughs) 
and it's so often neglected. Yeah. Okay, we are at the end of our time. Uh, so we only have our fast five segment left. So this is very, very simple. We have five, five questions and you just give us five answers, whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? I'm ready. One book or books are you currently reading? So I read uh, the book, The Mom Test, very recently. And it's about um, how you can interview people uh, about your product or service or, I mean, website or anything, really. And um, it broadened my eyes a little bit because I often ask, like, yes or no questions. Like, is this fantastic? Yes or no? (laughs) (laughs) And then people want to be kind to you. So they say, it's amazing. Uh, but actually want real feedback. So um, I think that was quite good to understand that you should ask very broad questions and that people walk through the process, how they do things. So you can learn instead of asking very, I mean, uh, nitty gritty questions, yes or no questions. Um, So um, yeah, that was a book I read currently. And then, I mean, I I read some really good uh, books in the past and there is a uh, American uh, author called Brian Tracy. He has a lot of, you know, personal development books. So I read like Change Your Thinking, Change Your Life and uh, No Excuses. And I kind of like these books and uh, like Power of Now with Eckhart Tolle. It's more spiritual and uh, uh, it was also quite good, good experience. So a lot of... Uh, good books to read but I have you know I have two little uh, children at home so it it's not uh, too much reading I'm listening to nowadays but I hope I will go back uh, go and get back to that oh that's completely understandable um a SaaS company you love and why oh it's a difficult question I I um I would say HubSpot and that's mainly because of their content and um that's really, really inspiring. And then I've been using Marketo and Pardot as marketing automation tools mostly in the past. Uh, but HubSpot is the one that is most inspiring to me out of these ML tools. What is your favorite place to read about growth? Yeah, so I uh, am a huge fan of LinkedIn. So I scroll through that feed a lot. And I mean, it's loads of articles there uh, that links me to different places. Uh, but TechCrunch is an international site or Break It here in Sweden I follow. So, uh, yeah, different places. But LinkedIn is probably the hub where everything is gathered in a way. What is the most important growth metric in your opinion? I think uh, ARR for SaaS companies. So annual recurring revenue uh, is the most important metric. Um, and even though you've given us a lot of advice already in in this podcast, but one more time, what is your best piece of advice for fellow SaaS marketers? Oh, it's um, good uh, questions. I've been dedicating my vacations, you know, when I have a big um, couple of weeks during the summer, I've been dedicating that to reflections. So during the fall and spring, I just work, 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 and uh, I'm a doer then. But during vacations that you actually are not doing, 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 but actually reflect a lot, because that reflection will move the needle for you personally. And then I have a second tips as well that is more hands-on for marketeers, and that is still with pride. So let's say you are putting up like a 
pricing and plans page on your website or whatever you're doing, you could visit, you know, the, the 10 most prominent SaaS uh, websites, or you can even visit like a B2C website or whatever you get inspired of. So you don't need to invent the wheel over and over again. You can actually look um, externally how other companies have solved one particular problem and get inspired. Great. Fantastic advice. Thank you so much. Um, and this is the time we have today. Uh, Sophie, we want to thank, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. It w- has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to to join. Thank you. And that's it. Thanks everyone for listening. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And in fact, we would love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, so tell us what you thought. Anything we missed, anything you'd like us to revisit. Let's keep the conversation going on on Twitter at SaaS Growth Hub or on LinkedIn at the SaaS Growth Hub podcast. And if you don't want to miss the next episode, make sure you subscribe to Growth Hub on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or SoundCloud. Until next time, cheers!